0: Hey everybody, it's Pastor Brian, Mount Hope's Belmont Campus Pastor. It's great to talk to you again. This week we ended our series The Best Things You'll Do This Year, and I think we ended it with the most important thing. I'll let you listen and discover what that is. Pastor Rick Picarello, our senior pastor and our Burlington Campus Pastor was here uh, to lead us in our worship and to preach to us from God's word. He did a great job. We had a little trouble with the recording. As you'll hear, it's a little softer than normal, so you'll have to turn up your device a little bit to listen to the sermon. But I hope you'll listen, and I hope you'll listen closely, because I believe that God has something that he wants to say to you.
1: Have you ever uh, you ever tried to do something or started to do something and then realized you needed help to get it done? Think of something in your life where you maybe tried to accomplish something on your own and in your own strength, but then you realized that it wasn't happening as easily as you thought it would. It happened to me a couple weeks ago. Uh, we, over the summer, moved into a new house, and uh, one reason to get closer to the church, and it's been great for that, and, and moved into a new house and was glad it didn't need a lot of work, but one place it needed a little bit of work was the basement and still needs a little bit of work is the basement. So um, back in June when we moved in, I thought, oh, no problem. If I just take like a couple days off work, I think I can knock this thing out and it'll be done and it'll be a great space. And that was in June and now it's January and I'm just getting to the place where I've almost got it demolished enough to start working on it. Uh, which is probably no surprise to my wife after nearly 20 years of marriage. Uh, She calls it Picarello time. Whatever I tell her it's going to take, she just like triples it or multiplies it by a certain amount of time, and it might get done. Uh, I told her I was hoping for Thanksgiving. I didn't tell her what year that it would be done. But a couple weeks ago, I, I got to the point where there was a, like a, a fireplace surround that didn't need to be there anymore, and I wanted to take the bricks out to create more space in the room where we can put some furniture. So I thought, well, this can't be that difficult, right? I mean, there's some bricks, they're on the cement. I'll take a screwdriver, uh, a hammer, just kind of knock, take those bricks right up and pop them up, and, and, and we'll, you know, that'll be it. Maybe like a couple hours' work, if that, Right. So I do that, start banging with the screwdriver, nothing. The thing doesn't even move. I thought, okay, so this isn't the right tool. So then I borrow, I get some masonry chisels. Uh, I, get, I don't know if you've ever seen these things, big, heavy chisel things. And, and I thought, this is, I mean, this is gonna move it, right? And so Then I get this like five pound hammer and I just put that chisel and I just slam that thing into it and my hand starts vibrating because the chisel goes nowhere. And I thought, well, okay. So I get my foot on it. And then I just start slamming that chisel. And it starts to move a little bit. And, and then I, I get on each side of the brick. And I, first of all, I went on YouTube trying to figure out how to take this up, right? And YouTube's like, oh, yeah, I just hit it in the seams and then hit the brick. I'm like, okay, I'm doing that. Ten minutes later, pop, I get one brick up out of this surround that has got to be 50 different bricks that are there. I'm like, all right, well, I bet it gets easier from here. Start pounding the next brick, In another ten minutes, and one more brick comes up. I thought this is not going to work. So I go down to the local hardware store, and I'm like, "Look, this is my problem. I got these bricks, and, uh, and and they're not coming up. I need something. What do you got for me? I will pay anything. Just tell me what you got for me." He says, "Oh, I got I got what you need, right?" He gives me something. Uh, what did he call? It, it was some like little jackhammer thing. I don't even know what it was called, but in this giant blue box, and he's like, look, these are the things, you put this on, and this is what you need. I'm like, well, whatever, give it to me. Uh, you know, so I rent this thing, take it home, take it out of the box, plug it in, and all of a sudden, this little jackhammer thing, like two minutes later, the brick starts coming up. And I thought, this is great. Uh, and I just started hammering those bricks and popped them all up, and I thought, what a difference it makes when you have the right tool to do the job, right? What a difference it makes when you get the right equipment to get the job done. And it's true in construction, it's true in our houses, but it's true in our lives too. Maybe you've tried to do something in your life personally. You've tried to change something in your life personally, but once you start doing it, you realize it's harder than you thought it was going to be. And it's actually a lot of work. And maybe when we started this series back in January and we started talking about the best things you can do in 2017, and we said the best thing you can do in 2017 are the things that no one will see. No one will see. Because the stuff that everyone sees is all going to be built upon the stuff that no one sees. And so we said, the best things you can do in 2017 is that stuff that no one sees. Tom Brady out on the football field last Sunday night, everybody watched that, everybody saw that. But then after the game, he gave an interview and he said, you know, our game preparation for this game started back in April when when we started talking to free agents and, and we started putting our team together. And we watched a game in January that Tom Brady said, we started preparing for this back in April. And it's the preparation that nobody sees that makes the difference with the stuff that everybody sees. And so we said some of the best things you can do in 2017, you can read scripture. You should be spending time in God's word. You should be spending time learning and you should be spending time with him. You, one of the best things you can do in 2017, 2017 is pray. Pray simple, pray sincere, pray secret prayers. Prayers that nobody will see but are significant. Last week we said one of the best things you can do in 2017 is have a generous heart and then let God worry about the rewards, to give, to be generous, and where Jesus says, you know, your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. The unseen God sees those unseen actions and rewards them. And we said, that is one of the best things you can do in 2017. But perhaps you've been listening these last few weeks, or maybe this is your first week here, and you hear me say that, and you've been listening and you say, great, but I've tried that before. I've tried to do it. I've tried to read scripture. I've tried to have this active prayer life. I've tried to be generous and give, and I never end up following through with it. Never end up actually doing it. I want to do it, I want to get those bricks up, and I start hammering with the hammer and the chisel. But after a while, not much happens, and after a while, I've just stopped. I don't know if you're like that, but that happens in my life sometimes. You try and do stuff, but it gets hard, and you don't follow through. It can be that way in the Christian life when we try and do these things. They're all good things, but wouldn't it be great? if God had given us a tool to help us to get it done. And the good news is this morning as we close out this series, I want to talk to you about the fact that God has given us a tool to help get the work done that he has given to us. Because the truth is, Jesus knew that the work would be hard when it comes to following God, when it comes to becoming the people that God has called us to be, when it comes to doing his work. He knew the work would be difficult and he anticipated that he anticipated the fact the reality that at some point all of us come to the place where we realize the person we want to be and the person we are is such a big gap and we don't have the strength to get there in our own strength and Jesus recognized that that would be true he recognized it in his followers the disciples John chapter 14 and 16 that we're going to look at this morning. He recognized that there was going to be a time in their life that they were going to realize that the work is now theirs, but they don't have the strength to do it. And it's the same in your life and my life. In our quest to know God more and to do what God wants us to do, sometimes we can feel like we're on our own. And the truth is, Jesus, when he's talking to his disciples... Just before he leaves them, before he's uh, crucified, dead, buried, and before he rises again, he's talking to his disciples about what's coming. And he tells them that he's going to leave them. And he tells them that he is going to go away. And when he does, you can imagine how they're feeling. Imagine how you would feel. If you had Jesus walking with you every day for three years. Imagine how wonderful that would be. Every day, you go to bed, Jesus is there. You wake up, Jesus is there. Jesus is walking down the street, he's healing people. Jesus is multiplying bread to feed people. He's casting out demons. He's he's confounding the teachers. Jesus is right there with you. Like Imagine that, like your best friend, like right there. Like someone's bragging about their friend and you're like, no, I got Jesus. Like he's right here and he's with me all the time. I mean, how great would that be? And this is how they've been for three years and then he says, I'm going away. I'm gonna leave you. Guys, I know we got this great thing going. I know we've talked about these great plans. I know I've been talking about this great plans for the kingdom, but I'm going away. Imagine how you would feel in that moment. We actually don't have to imagine how the disciples felt. The scripture tells us how they felt in John chapter 16. One, it says they were sad. Jesus says, I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you, but now I'm going to him who sent me and none of you asked me where are you going, but because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. So the scriptures tell us that they were sad. I, I would be too, been walking with Jesus, Jesus has been right here all, all the time, and Jesus says now he's going away, the first emotion they experience is they were sad that Jesus is leaving. But that wasn't all, they were also confused. Jesus a little later in John 16 says, a little while and you will see me no longer, and again a little while and you will see me. So some of his disciples said to one another, What is that that he says to us? A little while and you'll see me. And again, in a little while, you'll see, uh, you will see me. And because I am going, and, and because I'm going to the Father. So they were saying, What does he mean by a little while? We don't know what he's talking about. His disciples are confused. They're sad that he's going away, and they're really confused. What? does he mean by this what does he mean a little while and they didn't know what was coming they couldn't figure it out they didn't understand that he was going to die lay his life down for their sins for our sins he's going to be raised again but then after only about 40 days he was going to return to his father in heaven and so they're confused jesus is saying i'm going to leave and this work that we've talked about this job that we've started, this thing we've started going, it's yours. Imagine a family business and the patriarch that started this business and, 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 and got it going and built it up. And all of a sudden he says, guys, I'm done. It's yours. And you all the while have just kind of been watching it get done and you've kind of been in the business. Like a, you've kind of seen it get done, but you haven't done it. You don't feel equipped. You don't feel adequate. You don't feel trained. You don't feel like you have what it takes. But the dad says, I'm going. And that's kind of what Jesus is doing. He says, we've started this thing, and there's a lot of work left to do. But I'm not going to be here. And you've got to carry on the work. And maybe that's sometimes how some of us feel. That there's this work still left to be done. And we don't have the strength or the ability within us to carry on the work. I would imagine that's how Jesus' followers felt. So he wasn't done, though. He wasn't done talking to them. He he said, I am going away, but I'm going to send help for the work that you have. I'm leaving you, but I'm not leaving you alone. He said, but because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So imagine this. Jesus is beside you. Imagine Jesus is in the flesh with you. You've been waking up with him, going to sleep. He's right there all the time. He's right there. You've got a question. You just go ask Jesus. Jesus. I mean, Matt, you don't have to Google it. You don't have to go look it up. You don't have to go ask your rabbi, your pastor. You just go to Jesus. And he's like, you're like, "What's what's the answer? And you have Jesus there all the time. And then he says, I'm going away. And you're sad and you're confused. But then he says this, it's better if I leave. He says, it's to your advantage if I leave. And that to me gets real confusing. How can that possibly be? Because I like having Jesus right here beside me all the time. How can it possibly be to my advantage for you to leave? How can it possibly be better? It can't be better. But Jesus says this. He says, it's to your advantage. I got to go. And it's better if I go than if I stay for you. And the reason he says this is because uh, when I go, I'm gonna send a helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be with you. And what Jesus is talking about here is God the Holy Spirit that he says that when I go, I'm gonna send another, another like me, God the Holy Spirit is going to be released and it's going to be better for you because he's not just gonna be right here in one locale beside one little group of people. He is going to dwell in every follower of Jesus Christ. He's gonna be set loose on this world to have the power of Jesus within the believers that follow him. He's saying, look, this is what's gonna happen. You've seen the things I did. You're gonna do even greater things. Well, how can that be? Because God the Holy Spirit is gonna be released and he's gonna dwell in you and he's gonna be with you. And so Jesus says, it's better if I leave because there's another one coming. And when he says another, it's not another like different, it's another like similar, another in the same way. There's another one coming. There's another person coming who's gonna be even better, who's gonna help you do the work that I've called you and given to you to do. And so he says the Spirit's coming. And then he talks about in John 14 what the Spirit will do. He says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live. You also will live. In that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them he it is who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. And it goes on to say, Judas, not, not Judas is scary. another Judas said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and he will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words and the word that you hear is not mine but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I'm still with you but the helper, the Holy Spirit whom the Father will send in my name he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Jesus in these passages, Jesus in these, in these words, he's saying, look, it's better that I go. Because when I'm here with you, I'm here with you and I can teach you some things, he says, but the spirit that's coming will guide you and teach you all things. And by that, he means not only those who are standing with them, because a little after this, he's gonna pray not only for them, but those who are far off, which is us who are far off, and that we also get the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is uh, certainly, I think, the least understood member of the Trinity. If we talk God the Father, we Creator, God Almighty, we kind of can understand that. We talk God the Son, God the Son came, laid down his life, Messiah, Savior. He incarnated himself, so we can kind of understand that. But God the Holy Spirit, a little more elusive, right? A little harder to understand. God the Holy Spirit, we, sometimes we say the Holy Ghost, and that makes it even harder to understand. Like, why, why a ghost? Like, that's not, that's not helpful, but that's one of the translations of the words, but uh, the translations of the words are breath, wind, or spirit. There's this, it's not the force. The Holy Spirit is definitely described as a person, not a force. It's a person, like God the Son is a person, like God the Father is a person. The Holy Spirit is a person, but he's, he goes out and empowers the saints for the work that God has called. he's released onto the church to accomplish the work that God has called it to. And it's hard to understand, but uh, the words that are used are somewhat helpful. Um, he's called a helper, uh, an advocate. So like an advocate in a court, like argues for you, like on your behalf, uh, a guide. Uh, To us, a teacher, a comforter, all these things is God the Holy Spirit to us. And Jesus says, it's better that I go because God the Holy Spirit then can come and be released to you and help you to do what I have called you to do. And the truth is that we needed the help because when the helper comes, we, not only, we don't observe, and the disciples don't observe the work being done. They actually participate in the work of God. And they participated to some level, but when Jesus had left and the Holy Spirit came, all of a sudden they are full participants in the work of God. And so are you called to be. They had to learn how to operate and do the things of God, not just watch others do them. In his book, The Wright Brothers, David McCullough, Uh, biographies, Orville and Wilbur, on their uh, endeavor to fly. And at one point, uh, Wilbur describes, trying to describe what it's like to learn to fly. He likens it to trying to learn to ride a horse. And he said, there's two different ways you can learn to ride a horse, He said one is to get on him and learn by actual practice how each motion and trick may be best met. The other is to sit on a fence and watch the beast a while and then retire to the house and at leisure figure out the best way of overcoming his jumps and kicks. And Wilbur says the latter system is the safest, but the former on the whole turns out, the larger proportion of good riders. If one were looking for perfect safety, he said, one would do well to sit on the fence and watch the birds, but if you really wish to learn, you must, you must mount a machine and become acquainted with its tricks by actual trial. And I think when Jesus said, it's better if I go, he was saying a similar thing at Wilbur saying, well, you're not going to learn to fly by sitting on the fence and watching someone else do the work. You're not going to learn to walk this life of Christ by sitting around and watching someone else walk it. You're not going to learn to walk this life of faith by just watching someone else do it. You and I are called to be full participants in the work of God and in the walking. Of God and in faith in God, you and I are called to participate fully in it, not to sit on the fence and watch someone else do it. But as Wilbur says, to mount that beast, to to get fully involved, and to say, "I got to learn, God, I need you to help me to do this." And God has given you the Holy Spirit to help you with that. So Jesus said, "I'm going away," but He said, "I'm sending a helper." And the last point I want to talk to you about is the fact that uh, we need the help. We need the help, but we too often try to do the work without the help that God has given to us. As I was thinking about this message this morning, and I was talking to Pastor Brian about it this week and the week before, and we're going back and forth about this message And what God wants to communicate to the church. The thing I kept coming back to is the fact, this question, why would I need to preach to a bunch of people who are mostly Christians, including myself, who are sitting in a church on a Sunday morning about needing the Holy Spirit in their lives? We should go outside this church and preach it because these people already have the Holy Spirit in their lives. What's the need to preach a message on a Sunday morning? Because the Bible says that when you come to trust in Jesus Christ, when you come to put your trust in him, that what happens is God the Holy Spirit dwells in you, takes up residence in you. You become a tabernacle, a, a house, a temple. You become the place where God's Spirit lives. So why, on a Sunday morning, Take a message out of this series and talk about the fact that as Christians and as followers of Christ that we need the Holy Spirit and here's the reason why. Because religious people come to church. Because religious people come to church and here's what a religious person is. A religious person is a person who tries to do the work of God in their own strength. And I think many times We've got a lot of good-hearted people, good-hearted lovers of Jesus who try to do the work of God in our own strength, who try and accomplish what God would want in our own strength. So we come and we say, you know what, it'd be good to read your Bible. And, And we say, yeah, it'd be good if I read my Bible. And it'd be good to pray. Yeah, it'd be good if I prayed. And it'd be good to be a generous giver. Yeah, it'd be good if I'd be a generous giver. So I go home and I just try to do it harder. And I try. So I'm I'm gonna set my schedule and I'm just gonna try harder and that's the only answer we have and we try to do the work of God in our own strength. It'd be good for me to tell people about Jesus. Yeah, that would be good for me to tell people about Jesus so I'm gonna try to do it in my own strength. And we try and do the work of God in our own strength. And we ignore many times the helper that Jesus has given to us. And the truth is, the disciples couldn't do it in their own strength. I can't do it in my own strength, and you can't either. And we weren't meant to. God said, I'm going to give you this Holy Spirit, and he is going to be what you need to get the work done. And the truth is, as Christians, we often need to be reminded that we need the Holy Spirit every day to do the work God's called us to. And we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit every day to do the work God's called us to. And we need to ask God to fill us with that Holy Spirit every day to do the work He's called us to. Because there are times that even Christians... Even Christians are operating at a place where you are not filled with the Holy Spirit. Here's what, let me give you some examples. In Ephesians, Paul says this, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Here's why this is important. Paul is writing to a church at Ephesus. He's writing a letter to a church he loves to a church he led to a church he knows. He's writing a letter to people who love Jesus. He's writing a letter that is to be read in a church. Not out, in the, not out in the marketplace, not out in any place. He's writing a letter that is to be read to Christians in a church. And one of the things he writes to them is, stop, don't get drunk with wine. So by implication, there were people that were at least tempted to do this or were doing this. He said, but instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. By implication, there were people, Christians in this church, who were not operating and being filled with the Holy Spirit. And he said, to these Christians, you need to be filled with the Spirit if you're going to live the life that God has called you to live. If you don't, you're ignoring the greatest resource God has given you. So don't do these other things, but instead be filled with the Holy Spirit. He goes on, other passage of Scripture, Galatians 5, he says, he's talking about uh, the church of Galatia, some of the uh, disunity that's happening. He says, but if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the Spirit. And you'll not gratify the desires of the flesh. Stop arguing, stop the backbiting, stop the, 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 the hurting of one another and walk in the spirit. By implication, there were those who were not walking in the spirit. By implication, as a Christian, there are times that I need to say, God, help me to walk in your spirit, fill me with your spirit, because I, even as a Christian, am not always walking in a place where I am filled with God's spirit. So I need that. Another scripture, uh, two scriptures. First, Thessalonians five nineteen, Paul says, "Do not quench the spirit," which means I can, which means it's possible, which means quenching the Holy Spirit in a corporate setting and in my life is possible. That I can live my life in such a way that the Holy Spirit is not operating freely, and I quench the Spirit with the way that I live and act. Ephesians four thirty, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Grieve. Another another, thing that helps us understand the Holy Spirit as a person. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. So Paul tells us that we are to be careful, and that we are to be filled with the Spirit. So my challenge to you, and as Pastor Brian and I were, praying about this message and talking about this message, we really felt. You know what? Coming to the end of this series, it's easy for us to stand up here and say, you know, you should read your Bible more. You should pray more. You should give more. You do all these things. But if we just leave it at that without saying, but God has given you, God has given you the the, the power jackhammer to get the work done. God has given you in his Holy Spirit the ability to live the life that he has called you to live. And those things that God is calling you and you feel stirring in your heart, maybe you feel God stirring in your heart. I'm supposed to You know, tell more people about Jesus. I'm supposed to love this person that's been really hard to love. I'm supposed to forgive this person that's been really hard to forgive. I'm supposed, maybe you've heard, felt God stirring something in your heart, but the truth is you don't have the strength to do it. The truth is you don't have the strength to do it. But God has given you his Holy Spirit that you might have the strength to do what he's calling you to do. And so every day, you and I need to call out and say, God, would you fill me with your spirit today? Would you fill me with your spirit today? Would you fill me to overflow with your spirit today? One of the things uh, we believe in as a Pentecostal Assemblies of God church is the baptism of the Holy Spirit, but this can be confusing too. George Wood, the general superintendent, said this, General Superintendent of the Assemblies of God, he puts it this way. He said, I would suggest from a scriptural point of view, the appropriate question is not, did you receive the Spirit, but are you filled with the Spirit? We don't earn the baptism of the Spirit like a merit badge and say, I got it. There are always new demands, new emergencies, and new needs in life. We need the fullness of God's Spirit today. And the truth is, you and I will be called to tasks that are too hard for us. And when we are, we say, God, would you fill me with your spirit in order to be up to the task that you have called me to? And as you pray for that, and as you ask God to do that, he'll give you the spirit to the level that you need to do the work that he's called you to do. And as you pray and ask God, God, would you fill me with your spirit? There may be a time where he comes And he fills you with your spirit and you experience this baptism of the spirit. And God empowers you at this new level of his spirit for ministry. And at times uh, when you're seeking the fullness that God in his mercy as the giver of all good gifts may give you that baptism of the Holy Spirit. And we see this throughout Acts. We see this throughout scripture where these people who knew Jesus, who were saved, who were following Jesus, then received this baptism of the Holy Spirit when they needed it for the power of the work that God had called them to. You see it in the disciples. They received the Holy Spirit in Acts 2, but then in Acts 4 it says they're filled with the Holy Spirit again and again and again. Paul talks about it in all of his letters, but in Corinthians, to be sure, he talks about it a lot. He talks about this aspect of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, this speaking in other languages, this praying in other languages, he uh, calls it tongues, this language that God gives you when, it, when you're baptized in the Holy Spirit. And he talks to this church at Corinth and he says, things were so crazy in the church at Corinth. He says, look, all you guys are trying to speak in tongues at the same time, stop it. He says, he says two or three at the most, that's all. He limits it. That's, that's what was going on in Corinth. And, and, and that's what was happening there. He said, look, I'm glad that I speak in tongues more than all of you, and I wish that everyone would, but when you're corp- in a corporate setting, be careful. Don't bring confusion. And he says, you know, there's, there's this baptism of the Holy Spirit that God, throughout Scripture, puts upon believers, and I believe still makes available today, And when he does, you may have this urge to speak forth a language, tongues that you don't understand. And that may seem a little strange. My encouragement to you would be just go with it. Go with the Spirit working in your life and allow God to fill you. You know, the one thing in our life that we we can't control, the Bible says, more than anything, is our tongue. And when we yield that completely to God, Allow him to say, God, even the one thing that I can't control, it's yours. It's under your power. And that's why I think God connects that with this baptism of this Holy Spirit. But you and I need this fullness. We need this fullness of of God's Spirit every day of our lives. Because there are tasks that you're going to be called to that you will not be up to. And God makes available the fullness of his spirit to you. Galatians chapter 5 talks about the fruit of the spirit. It says, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the spirit, let us also keep in step with the spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another or envying one another. Let me close with this illustration. Talk about every, every day of our lives, we need to be filled with God's spirit. And so similar to if I take this cup of water and I pour it and I fill it right to the top and to the brim, as high as it can go, and in our lives, we are called to be filled with the Spirit, but we're all filled with something. And so it's kind of like this what happens. What happens when you're carrying a cup of water like this? Stand up for a second, Denise. I'm carrying a cup of water like this, and Denise comes along and bumps me. Oh boy, I didn't get it on your coat. What happens? It's all over the floor, right, Nancy? It's all over the floor. Somebody's going to, yes, it's all over the floor. What happens is whatever I'm filled up with is going to come out when I get bumped. And the really the truest measure of my life, of what's going on, and the truest measure of what I'm filled up with is what comes out when somebody bumps me. What comes out when somebody bumps into you? Because that really tells you what's inside of you. And if what comes out of me when somebody bumps me is not, if we go back to Galatians chapter 5, is not that fruit of the Spirit. If what comes out of me is not love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, but something else comes out when I get bumped, then my prayer ought to be, God, fill me with your Spirit because I and filled with something else right now. Lord, fill me with your spirit so that when I get bumped, and that comes in all different ways, literal, figurative, what I, what I, what I want to come out is that stuff right there. I want love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness faithfulness and gentleness and self-control to overflow out of my life such that when I get bumped in life that that's what comes out and Lord if it's not then God fill me with your spirit fill me right to the top with your spirit so that that's what comes out comes out in my life that everything comes out there was a man in scripture in the book of Acts named Stephen Stephen was chosen to be a um, servant in the church to help uh, in a food distribution program, actually. Um, And he was chosen to help make sure that some of the widows got the food that needed to be handed out. Uh, And when they chose Stephen, the Bible says they chose Stephen because he was full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. He was a man full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. But the real reason we know Stephen so much is because Stephen got bumped really hard. In fact, that's not even the right word for it. Stephen became the first martyr that we know of of the Christian church. And when he did, I think it's important to note how he handled it. In the book of Acts, in the account of Stephen in Acts 7, I don't have the whole thing here, but a couple verses. Stephen had just preached a sermon to some of the religious leaders of the day. And then it says, Now when they heard these things, they were enraged and they ground their teeth at him. But he, Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit. Then down a couple of verses, it says, And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he said this, he fell asleep. Stephen got bumped really hard. In fact, he got stones thrown at him. And in that moment... When you've got people who hate you for no other reason than the doctrine and the beliefs that you hold and that you preach and the hope that you are preaching for no other reason, in that moment when rocks and stones are being thrown at your head, what would come out of you? Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, prayed for the people that were stoning him. And he asked God, to forgive them and not hold this sin against them. I don't know about you. But I can't be sure that's what would come out of me in that moment. But I pray that God fill me with your spirit. So that if that situation or anything like that ever came. I would be able to handle it in a way like Stephen does. And I would overflow with love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, forgiveness. Forgiveness for people who are throwing literal stones at me. That happens when you are full of the Holy Spirit. And so if that's not overflowing out of your life, then your prayer and my prayer ought to be, God, fill me with your spirit today. One last uh, quote from someone else who thought about flying long before the Wright brothers did. It was Leonardo da Vinci. And uh, in talking about, thinking about flying and his flying machines that he was constantly trying to get to fly, Leonardo da Vinci said, once you have tasted flight, you will forever walk the earth with your eyes turned skyward. For there you have been, and there you will always long to return. And I believe that once you start walking in the fullness of the Spirit, you'll always be longing to walk with God in that way. God, would you lead me, guide me, teach me? Don't, I don't want to do this in my own strength. There, once you're there, there you'll always long to be. Don't neglect the greatest resource God has given you to live the life that God has called you to live. There was a, um, Super Bowl's coming up this week. There was a great, one of my favorite Super Bowl ads years ago uh, was a FedEx ad. And it was a play off the movie Castaway. If you saw that movie Castaway with Tom Hanks, and he was you know on the deserted island, he was a package delivery guy on the deserted island with all these packages and the volleyball Wilson, right? He starts talking to the volleyball, and he's just and so FedEx did this spoof on the commercial where they had this Tom Hanks looking guy working for FedEx, all disheveled, this long beard. He's you know he's, he's been on this island for years, and the only thing kept him going was he kept this one package. And the mission was, I want to deliver this package. I'm getting off this island, and I'm going to deliver this package. So he gets off the island, and he finally goes to the house. He knocks on the door, and he says, I've been on a deserted island, and and I have committed, I came to deliver this package to you. And the woman says, thank you, and goes to close the door. And he says, wait, 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 wait. I just got to know before you close the door, what's in the package? And so she opens it up, and she says, oh, nothing really. Just a satellite phone, a global positioning device, a compass, a water purifier, and some seeds. And like the contents of this package, the resources for growth and strength and the life that God has called you to live is there for you. Don't let it go unopened. Don't try and live your life in your own strength. Don't neglect the greatest resource God has given you to live the life God has called you to. So as our music ministry returns and as we close out our service and worship today, my invitation to you, as we close out this series at Mount Hope, my invitation to you is that you would not be satisfied with anything less than the fullness of God's spirit in your life that you and I would come to this day as we begin our week together and we would say, God, all the tasks that may be before me this day and this week and this month and this year, I don't want to do them in my own strength. God, I need your spirit. I need you to fill me to overflow. God, I need you to fill me with your spirit so that I might be the person that you have called me to be so that when you get bumped in life, what comes out of you is not anger or rage or malice or jealousy or bitterness, but what comes out of you is the love and peace and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control, all of those things that God has given to you, not in your own strength, but through his spirit. So my prayer... God, fill me with your spirit. And it's not good enough, God, that you filled me yesterday for the task that you called me to or last year or 10 years ago because God there's work to do today and I can't do it in my strength. So God, fill me with your spirit today. So would you stand and as we close out our service, we're just going to take it, we're going to sing a couple songs. And as we do, I'm going to invite you to just pray that prayer in your, where you are. Recognize the fact that we don't have the strength in our own to live the life that God has called us. Recognize that he has sent a helper and we need his help. And say, God, would you fill me with your spirit today? It's a bold prayer. If you've never prayed it, it's a risky prayer. Because what it's saying is, God, I want to yield myself completely to you. Every aspect of myself, I want to yield it completely to you so I'm empty and you filled me up. And you can pray that in your seat. If you want to come and stand or kneel at these altars, then I'd love to pray for you. And uh, Justin and Bill, I know, is here. We'd love to pray for you and pray for God to just fill you with his spirit in your life. And, uh, and we'd be happy to do that for you if you'd want to come forward and pray here as well. We'd love to pray for you. But let's pray and ask God to lead us and direct us. God, we thank you. Jesus, I thank you that you called us to a great work, but you did not leave us to do it in our own strength. Lord, I thank you for the men and women in this room who over the last several weeks have committed to being in Scripture, have committed to being in prayer, have committed to giving generously, have committed maybe to loving or forgiving or doing something hard that you've asked them to do this year. But Lord, I thank you all the more that you've given us the strength to live out the life that you've called us to. So Lord, fill us today. Fill these men and women with your spirit and your power for the life that you've called us to live. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's sing songs of worship, and let's pray. And if you'd like to come forward in prayer, we'd love to pray for you.
0: Hey, thanks again for listening to this sermon from the Belmont campus of Mount Hope. If you live in the Belmont area, we'd love to have you join us each Sunday at 10 a.m. Or if you'd like to know more about Mount Hope Christian Center with campuses in Burlington and Belmont, Massachusetts, you can visit our website at www.mounthope.org.